0: You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Well, good morning and welcome to our Sunday gathering. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and it is so good. To be with you. As many of you know, uh, I have been out on sabbatical the last couple of months. And so if you're new and you're like, who's this guy? Uh, I've been out on sabbatical. Uh, Welcome. You can welcome me. I'll welcome you, whatever. Um, But it's good to be here this morning. Uh, This is our last two months has been a great time of rest and reflection for our family, feel like the Lord has just restored and given uh, direction for, for our next season. And so we're excited to be back here. Also want to report to you that over the last two weeks, I got to go to the launch services of Redeemer Hutto, which launched two weeks ago. So they're off and running now, gathering every Sunday. And Redeemer Georgetown, which launched last week. And so it's been an exciting time to see uh, brothers and sisters who are worshiping with us for quite some time, now worshiping on their own and, and churches planted in, uh, in nearby cities. So it's been a great couple of weeks, but I am glad to be back with you this morning. And currently, we are working through the Gospel of Mark. And last week, uh, Pastor Jordan walked us through Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, and challenged us to consider the way we view ourselves. Uh, some people uh, tend to view themselves in an overly positive light, others perhaps in an overly negative light. But Jesus came upon the scene back in in that last text and we learned that he lifts up the lowly to fellowship with him and he brings low the lofty. He is sobering us to the reality that we are no better than anyone. In fact, every person stands equally in need of his restoring grace. And this week, uh, we're going to continue this theme of grace, and in fact, last week at the end of that, as, as that message was shared with the religious leaders, we, we found out that not everyone likes the message of grace, and there was this little bit of conflict that emerges, and this week we're going to look at three scenes that we just read where we see the conflict and the contrast between dead religion and the gospel of Grace. In fact, our text is going to be kind of bookended by these three scenes that reveal this distinction between dead religion and the gospel of grace. And things are going to increasingly get tense in these interactions. In the first, the questioning people about fasting, and then we're going to look at the issue of Sabbath. But this tension is going to rise, and we're going to see that dead religion is fueled by human pride. And for the proud religious person... Their identity, their worth, who they are, how they value themselves is built upon them needing to fulfill these rituals by these religious deeds. And by contrast, the kingdom of Jesus that's being announced here in Mark's gospel is one of grace. It's a religion of givenness, where mercy, forgiveness, and belonging are graciously given given to unbelievers. Deserving people. And yet this kingdom, this gospel of grace, is offensive to our pride and especially difficult for, to receive for those who are steeped in what we'll see as dead religion. So let's pray, and then we'll walk back through our text. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning as people who need to commune with you. As people who struggle to commune with you and yet people who need you, we need your presence. We need you to graciously meet with us in your word. We need your spirit to open our hearts and our minds to understand and see you clearly. Lord, we need you to change us. We need you to lower our pride and lift us up into Christ. We pray this morning that you would help us to see the distinctions between dead religion and the gospel of grace. Lord, we ask you to be present. In your name we pray, amen. Well, let's first jump back into scene one where we get these questions about fasting. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to chapter two. We'll start reading in verse 18. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, and the worse tear is made, and no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. So this scene begins with uh, the author telling us how John's disciples and the Pharisees were engaging in a religious practice of fasting. And just to clarify, it's not the Pharisees or John's disciples that are asking the question that follows. It's, it's a group of people who've looked at Jesus' disciples, and then they kind of know about John's disciples and the Pharisees, and, and they're kind of asking him, why aren't you guys kind of as religious as these guys? Like, why aren't you fasting like uh, this, uh, these other groups? Aren't you uh, serious about Jesus? Right? We, we don't have to read that their question was entirely cynical, but you get this idea that, that if you guys were really serious about God, well, maybe you would be fasting like these other guys, these other groups. Um, in my early 20s, I was still coming out of a season of, uh, of where, where my heart was very prone to pharisaical or dead religion, if you want to call it that, and a lot of my identity was still based on me following religious rules and regulations. And my wife invited me to go to a barbecue, I think it was maybe the 4th of July, you know, it's been a long time, so I can't remember all the details. But it was at a church she had attended as a child. And I get to this barbecue and I notice that people are having fun, they're, they're, they're fellowshipping, it's like an outdoor type of celebration. And uh, me, coming from kind of my Southern Baptist, very, a little bit legalistic background, sees that they're holding uh, alcoholic beverages in their hands, you know, silver bullets to be precise, no. Um, and I remember in my heart, and I think later in the car, I probably gave her an earful and saying, I, I remember this phrase, I just can't see how serious Christians can drink alcohol, Right? Now, some of you, I just caught some of you Pharisees, you're like, yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going on that, right? No, <laughs> that's not where I'm going. But you see this kind of attitude that, that if, if someone was maybe looking on and they, and they were, they, they, if someone just in our community, this person was uh, just, just observing Christians, sometimes you get the idea that Christians, they don't, they don't drink, smoke, and cuss. That's kind of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if they maybe see Christians who are having a beer or doing something else, they might say, well, aren't you... Why why aren't you like those guys? This This is kind of the heart, the question that's coming out as these people question Jesus' disciples about the practice of fasting. And this is the attitude that we're going to continue to bump into here. And for maybe for some of us who have a more pharisaical, maybe you still struggle with that little bit of an inward pharisee. You, you kind of know this tension, right? You, you know this tension. Maybe you came out of a background where there was lots of cultural taboos that you had to avoid, and, and now you're kind of navigating freedom in Christ and what's, you know, what, what's this and what's that, and you feel that pharisee. You feel that little pharisee on your shoulder kind of constantly condemning you. Um, you know, you're, you're, this, the, the little pharisee inside is, is constantly saying, uh, is, is, are we serious enough, right? Uh, are my clothes plain enough? Are they appropriate enough? Are they too flashy? Are they too showy? Is it enough? Um, am, I attending, am I attending church enough? Am I going to small group enough? Am I signing up enough? Am I doing enough? It's kind of the resounding song of pharisaical religion. The whole system treats religion as a means of building an identity for myself. You see, this is the problem. All of us know inwardly that we're empty and there's this ache in us. And and dead religion comes along and gives us a sets of rules and says, hey, if you can perform and you can do these things, then you can tell yourself, pat yourself on the back and say, hey, I'm somebody because I don't smoke, smoke, drink, or cuss, you know, or whatever your little set." of rules happen to be. There's a whole variety uh, of religions and rules around the world that we could insert there. When I want assurance or when I want to know that I'm someone, that, 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 that I'm something, that I'm loved, I look to my ability to follow these rules. And this is the dangerous path of dead religion. Doing, performance, achievement, rigor, duty to earn my place with God. Now, in our text, the particular practice that's brought up is the practice of fasting. And fasting was indeed a religious practice given in the Old Testament. Uh, it was specifically given to fast on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. Um, and it was required once a year in, in the Old Testament law. Later, it likely developed to be added to other festivals. But this is not the kind of fasting that. Uh, that John's disciples and the Pharisees that they're talking about. You see, they had adopted a more rigorous aesthetic practice of fasting that was twice a week. Some of you are like, wow, that's, that is a seri-, you know, serious religious person. Um, remember, Pharisaical religion always asks for more. It's always asking for more. It's always what the real serious religious people are doing. You see, the Pharisees were a movement of Jews attempting to take their faith seriously. And we'll see here in a bit, not everything the Pharisees believed was off. In fact, there's some things that the Pharisees believed that Jesus would affirm. And he would say those are, those are good things. But what happens is when our heart encounters religious rituals and ways, and we're bent towards not looking to God for our identity, but looking to our performance in those things... Things get twisted. You see, in, in their time, it was a common belief amongst many of these more people who are more serious about their faith, if that they could only start to follow the law more perfectly, then the Messiah would come and usher in the new kingdom of God. In fact, there was a belief circulating. I don't know how widespread this one was, but that if they could just observe the Sabbath once, (laughs) perfectly, everybody, observe it once, then the Messiah would come and usher in the kingdom of God. He would set the world right. You see, not only does dead religion tell us that we can make something of ourselves, it goes as far as to say that together, perhaps, we can fix the problem of the world being broken. That if we just got our act together, things would be okay, right? the people looking at Jesus and his disciples are operating under these same assumptions of dead religion. They assume these principles. Um, and, And I want to say this, of all the Jewish religious groups of the time, Jesus' teaching did indeed have the most in common with the Pharisees, right? So there's other groups. There's the Sadducees. They kind of represent the liberal elites, if you want to use our terminology. That might be, I don't know if that's the best name to call them. But they they were a, the, the Sadducees had kind of given up on resurrection. They were dropping doctrines left and right. The Pharisees, in a good way, wanted to hold on to the oral traditions of the Torah. They wanted to take scripture seriously. They believed in a resurrection. But here's the thing. As close and as many things as they shared, Jesus wanted to be careful that you didn't mistake what he was doing for what they were preaching. In fact, sometimes in more traditional conservative circles, we might need to be extra diligent to distinguish the kingdom of grace versus the kingdom of dead religion, which is still alive and well, if you haven't noticed around us. Now, Jesus' response uh, to, to this question of fasting, he gives three things in his response. First, his practice of, uh, this practice of fasting wouldn't make sense for his disciples because of his presence with them. He gives this illustration of a wedding. He says, it would make no sense for my disciples to fast because the bridegroom is still present. Here's essentially what he's saying. Guys, the time of the kingdom of God has arrived in full, in me, in Jesus, it's here, and it's like a wedding feast. It's like a time where you should be celebrating and feasting. It's not a time of fasting. You see, fasting was traditionally linked with times of lament, when a nation would go through tragedy, or, or someone would maybe uh, have a, a loss in, in their family, or perhaps there was a grievous sin that they wanted to mourn and, and be uh, lament to the Lord. They would, they would fast. And Jesus is saying it would be ridiculous to fast at a wedding right? Imagine that, uh, you know, grooms, grooms, you want to save some costs on your wedding. You're like, what if we just fast, you know? Like, no. What, are you crazy? Like, you don't fast at a wedding. That's what Jesus is saying, saying, this is like a wedding. This is a time of joy. The kingdom is before you, and you don't even know how good it is. It's ridiculous for them to be fasting right now. Now, he does say that later they will fast. So I want you to catch this He's not dismissing the religious ritual of fasting, but he's calling out the heart of the Pharisee and the heart of dead religion, which would use fasting, use the ritual to make something of themselves. See the difference? Because he says later, actually, they would fast. But it would be a different kind of fasting. It would be a fasting that has tasted the the wedding feast, has tasted the first fruits of the new creation, and longs for the day when the Messiah would return in full and make all things new. But it would not be a fast that's about me fulfilling my emptiness inside. It would be a fast longing for fullness and the banquet feast to return, which, by the way, that's how we should fast as believers on this side of the cross. As, not as, as we're earning brownie points with God. I know maybe some of you are fasting during Lent this season. Uh, one more week, baby. Come on, let's go. We got it. One more week. But that fast is not, it's an, it's not earning us religious points. It's not so we can fill this empty void of our ego and say, oh, yeah, fast. You know, it's so that we can say, God, we long for you. We long for that banquet feast to return. We long for the wrongs of our world to be set right. And we're going to put away food so we can remember that there is spiritual nourishment coming one day in full. There will be a time when the disciples fast, but it's not the time now. Not in a way of religious pride, not in a way that shines on them or it's about them, but a way that longs for the return of Jesus and so Jesus wants to be clear that while there are similarities between these other groups, certainly there were, he has not come to simply be another radical group, another group of do-gooders that can usher in the kingdom of God with religious fervor and pride. And he gives us these last two images to kind of make this crystal clear. He gives us the image of, you wouldn't, you know, the, of the cloth you sew on a cloth and and if it's, if it's, if it's uh, again, I don't understand all the dynamics of their clothing. Uh, I but but if, it, if, it, if it just rips off because it can't really fit, it's going to leave a bigger hole than it could the first time. Essentially, he's saying, look, what I'm bringing is not just a patch for your old shirt. It's not just a patch for, for these old religious rituals. I'm actually bringing an entire set of new clothes. <laughs> and he's saying with, with the wine... Again, I don't know how many of you have wineskins at home, but they would get brittle and old over time. And he's saying, I'm not going to pour this new wine of the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit that I'm about to pour out. It won't even fit in there. It would burst and Everything would be crazy. It's a whole new skin. Jesus is not coming to patch up our dead religion. He's not coming to, to just give us the little boost we need so that we can't actually do it and fulfill it. He's coming to do something radically different. He's coming himself to accomplish what we could never do. And that kingdom that he would earn through his death and resurrection, he would give it freely. It's a whole new system for you computer geeks. It's a whole new operating system, right? He's not just sending a patch and trying to speak your love language tech people. It's not just a patch. It's a whole new OS. (laughs) And therefore, Jesus' followers are different. They're not living under the same uh, microscope of, of dead religion. They're living based on Christ and His mercy and His grace. And He gives us these pictures to show us this reality. And I want to just stop to, to remind and warn us that dead religion, uh, it, it wasn't just limited to the Pharisees or, or even uh, the past. It, it's, it's alive and well. We're surrounded by the same old wineskins of just doing better, of bearing down, of attend more, of more effort, right? If you could just do enough, more dedication, more right living. And Jesus is clear that the kingdom is categorically different and therefore his followers will look different. It's not the same old empty religious pride and ritual. The kingdom of God will not come through human-centered, pride-fueled religion. It will come through the person and work of Jesus Christ who stood before them as the gift given, the body given, the grace of God made manifest. And he won't fit into our human boxes. His grace is too powerful for that dried up and brittle religious thinking. He won't merely be a patch to the problem. Now, let's go to scene two. Things are going to continue to escalate. Keep moving along. Verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck Heads of grain. Uh Uh-oh. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abithar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any uh, but the priest to eat? and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Um, How many of you have some friends or family members or acquaintances, you don't need to raise your hand, don't don't point to them either, but who maybe have a little extra dose of dead religion, of pharisaical religion. These are the kind of, People that when you go eat dinner with them or hang out at the park, you're prepping your children, not to mention, you know, don't mention that we, we dance or that have wine in the fridge or, you know, that we vote for this or that. And, uh, and, and how many, every, every one of us can relate to what it's like to be in the presence of someone who's, who's got a little extra dose of Pharisee in them, right? Um, so, uh, as Jesus and his disciples go to this next scene, um, what I love is that Jesus, unlike me, does not seem to be afraid of conflict. Like, I'd probably be like, hey, disciples, I saw the Pharisees, they were, you know, they were hiding around in the grain field, which that's weird, but why were they doing that? Um, it, you know, I saw them, let's just, let's just play it cool, it is a Sabbath, I know you're hungry, but maybe, you know, maybe we should take up fasting, maybe those, you know, they're right, um, right? And I might try to buffer it a little bit, like maybe some of you buffer your children when you're going to hang out with those people. But Jesus is like, okay, we're going we're to do this. And he lets them go into the field, and they begin plucking grain. And, of course, here come the weirdo Pharisees out from whatever they're hiding behind. And like, look, we saw you on the Sabbath picking grain. And Jesus then tells them two things that are very important. He says, first, don't lose the heart of the law. He's saying, don't lose the heart of the law. He's saying, God did not create the Sabbath So that, you know, we have Sabbath and then I have all these people serve the Sabbath, right? Meaning he didn't create religious rituals so that people could doggedly just follow them. In fact, the rituals are there for the good and flourishing of his people. Why was God so jealous about the Sabbath in the Old Testament? Because he longed for and loved his people and he wanted their good. And Jesus is saying, don't miss the heart of this. Maybe sometimes, you know, I, th- I think of uh, when I'm, pre- there'll be times where I've been preparing a sermon about grace and patience, and I'm writing the sermon, and my, and my children come in, and they want to interrupt, or they want to do this or that, and I'm like, get out of here! I'm preparing a sermon on grace and patience, you know? <laughs> and I miss the heart, again, I'm doing some, a, a religious routine, I don't call it a ritual, but uh, I'm doing something good, but I miss even the heart of, of God in that moment, who might Say, so you know what, that can wait. This is the heart of what I'm trying to do anyways. And Jesus tells those religious people, he says, don't miss the heart of this. And I want to say this, rituals are not bad. Rituals are, are not a, an enemy. Like some people are like, it's all relationship, no, you know, no religion, no rituals, right? We need worship, we need rituals. But the heart that we approach because of Christ is totally transformed. Those rituals are a means of reminding, informing us to our relationship, to our identity in God. They're not the thing that points back to us and says, hey, you're what make me something, you know, Bible reading or sermon prep or taking communion, you know, all those things. I mean, imagine some of you, you know, it's a good thing to be, it's a good ritual maybe to be on time to church. I'll say, I'll go ahead and say that. It's a good thing, guys, to be on time to church. No shame for those who did. Lots of grace. Um, but, but don't cut a guy off or, or a gal off on your way to church and, and you know, flip him a sign and yell at them in the name of being to church on time do you, you get the point? don't miss the heart of why God has given rules and regulations Jesus wants to remind them of that now the second thing is Jesus playing he's just playing a boss card here that's, that's, he, he's saying look guys that's cute that you think you can interpret the scriptures which are, I wrote because you know, after all I'm God, right? And he tells them, if King David, who was an authority figure that you honor, and you would, you would look at that text and say he was justified in doing that, if he can do that, certainly my authority and my mission and my disciples could, could trump uh, the, the, the law so that we could be fed. See, Jesus, isn't, he's, he's not coming to say do away with the law, do away with rules. He's coming to say, guys, here's the heart of it and here's the Lord of it. Don't miss it. You see, Jesus has come with something other than the same old dead religion. He's come filled with mercy and grace. And we're going to get one more scene that kind of really hits this home. Let's, let's go ahead and read verses uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life? or to kill, but they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. See, we're still on the Sabbath day. Jesus comes into the synagogue, the place of worship. Evidently, the Pharisees are still oddly spying on Jesus. And there's a man whose hand is withered, and they're watching every move. It's interesting that the text lets you know that they've seen enough of his ministry that they're expecting Jesus to heal, they're like waiting for it. You see how crazy that is, though, that they're missing? The healer is here, and what they're worried about is if he's healing on the Sabbath. And in the midst of all this, I'm sure it's quite the tense environment. Jesus invites the man over. And as the man is walking, as as he's doing this, he asks the Pharisees a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good, or to do harm, to save a life, or to kill. And they're silent. Perhaps in, in this moment, Jesus had hoped that maybe bringing this man forward, that seeing his suffering and his hand, and no doubt, we don't know all the details, of, but no doubt it caused him great pain and, and, and left him scarred from society. That seeing this, their hearts might be moved from hardness to compassion and love and grace. But their hearts have been hardened by dead religion. They've been so puffed up by their pride, blinded, that they can't see the kingdom right in front of them. And the text tells us that this grieves Jesus and it makes Him angry. I want to just say this. For those of you who've been hurt by Pharisaical types like I struggle at times and I have been in the past and maybe you have or others. Jesus is grieved when people treat one another like this, when they value ritual over other people made in God's image. He's grieved. He's angry. He longs that he would see the kingdom right in front of them. See, the first sign of dead religion is that we start placing ritual above the good of people. And yet in this moment where there's at this one hand this grievous, sad, callous heart going on, Jesus and the kingdom of God is about to burst forth in a little preview picture. He asks the man to stretch out his hand. And we don't get a lot of details about this man, but we, we know that he was, his hand was likely paralyzed. He couldn't use it. We don't get the backstory, but, but we know that there's probably a lot of pain and embarrassment and even the fact that he's looking at these, you know, if you ever been in a group of really religious, well-put-together people, you know how intimidating it can be. And he knows that they're mad at Jesus and he's like, okay, you know? But in a moment of vulnerability, he puts out his withered hand. And in a beautiful flash of the kingdom, Jesus heals his hand. He restores it. Tragically, the religious leaders only further harden their hearts and they go away and they begin to scheme of how they can crucify, kill, get rid of this Jesus. You see, dead religion will always put us in opposition to the kingdom of grace. But I believe that Jesus in this text and in this very morning is wanting to invite you to put away those old garments, to put away the old wineskins and receive something new. Not something that you do enough for, but something that has been done for you by Him. To come to Him with whatever part of you that's withered and hurting. And not to be so ashamed or filled with pride or or worried about what others would think, but to reach out to him and say, Jesus, heal me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, welcome me. I think some of you perhaps, maybe you're visiting, maybe you're new to the whole church thing, and you've kind of looked at Christianity from afar. And you kind of like the people at the beginning of our text have always thought, well, the religious people are kind of those real serious people. And there's the other people over here that whatever the hypocrites or whatever the sinners. And you've kind of thought, maybe, maybe I've, I'll never be rigorous enough or good enough to be in that religious group. I want to just tell you this morning that the kingdom of God, the gospel we proclaim, is not about a group of people who are good enough. It's actually a message for people who realize that dead religion is a dead end, that they could never do enough, but that Jesus came and did it all. And that what he offers, his own body and blood, is complete forgiveness at no cost to you and every cost to himself, and new life, a new wineskin, a new shirt, a new coat of righteousness to be called a son or daughter of God at no cost. And he says, everybody needs it, and it's open to anyone who would come. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Maybe others, you're you're feeling like that. Maybe you've been running a season of inner pharisee and you're just angry, and you're seeing good, the kingdom pop up all around, and you're just mad at it. And you're just bitter. There's some wound in you. There's something withered in you. There's something hardened in you. Maybe you've just been having that little Pharisee on your shoulder who's told you it's not enough for year after year after year. And for you, I just want to remind you that grace is there. You see, all of us come in here this morning with something withered. Much like this man. Maybe it's a withering marriage. Maybe it's a literal withering part of your body. Maybe it's a withering soul that's just beat down, tired. Maybe it's a bitter root that's just taken in you and you don't, don't know how to get rid of it. And here's, here's the thing this morning. I'm not going to give you five ways to make it up to God and, and get yourself right. I, to, I want us to model ourselves after this man with the withered hand who he, he did have an action. It was reach out to Jesus. He's here. His spirit is here. He promised to be with us. Even if we don't feel like he's here, he's here. And here's what I want to close with. I just want us to, to, right where you are, I'm going to give you a moment to pray, and then I'm just going to lead us to symbolically hold out our hand. And maybe there's something in your heart that's withering, and you just need to hold it out to him and say, I don't even know what to do with this, but Jesus, I just want to bring it to you. Maybe it's I, need, I have guilt and I need forgiveness. Maybe it's I'm physically just exhausted and I need strength. Maybe it's I feel ashamed and I need, I need mercy. Whatever it is, I'm just going to invite you to hold it out in a minute. So let's go to the Lord. Let's go to the King, the Lord of the Sabbath in prayer together. And then I will lead us in just a moment. King Jesus, we come to you this morning honoring you as the crucified and resurrected Messiah. You ascended into the heavens and you poured out your Holy Spirit, filling your church. You've given us your Holy Scriptures to guide us in truth. You promised that when we gather around your word and in sacrament, you would be with us. You would not leave us, but you would be with us even till the end of the age. And so we claim that promise this morning. And we hold out our hand. I want to ask you just to hold out your hand this morning if you have a part of you that's withering. And we put down any self-effort, any self-help, any five ways, and we just say we need you to heal us doesn't look pretty, it's not impressive, it doesn't feed our pride, but we say, God, we need you to take our shame, to take that withering relationship, to take that withering patience, that withering workplace, that withering faith, maybe even our our doubt. And we hold it out to you, Jesus, and we ask for your mercy and grace. Holy Spirit, would you comfort Would you heal? Would you apply the once and all forgiveness that has been earned by the blood of Jesus? Would you usher us into your presence? It is in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.